Welcome to Dwarf Fortress Roundtable, the podcast for all things dwarfy. Every couple weeks or so, your hosts gather to talk about our favorite game, Dwarf Fortress. So let's join your hosts, Roland. That that is an amazing introduction. That one is spot on. Tony. Let's talk specifically about the nature of the decision and the risk you took, how it impacted you. And Jonathan. Okay, okay, great, great. Well, then we'll see you later. Thanks for the uh, thanks for your time. As they present insightful, irreverent, and often incorrect analysis. Joining the roundtable today is Nick Rust from the Literate Gamer Podcast. Uh, to be frank, I don't. I just uh, throw them into a dwarfish pit of uh, death and suffering until they work themselves into traumatic uh, psychological states and everything collapses. And always remember, losing is fun. Welcome to Dwarf Fortress Roundtable. We've got Nick Rust here from the Literate Gamer Podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Nick. Hey, what's up? So this is the part where we ask questions. This is this is where we start asking questions. Yeah, to these roll people. some of those questions. And then we let them start talking, and then we go, oh, that's a great point. So we're going to start off with what's the most complex or intricate system in Dwarf Fortress that you have mastered, and how did you go about learning it? Oh, for God's sakes. That's a good one. Uh, that, that actually is a good, is a good one, one. I know, right? So, yeah, like, the game is pretty oblique about how many different systems are involved in it. As far as the most complex one, like, I feel like I've got a really good handle on soap. So that soap is, like, second nature now. I would probably say glass. Uh, I just recently, like, as of, like, premium, did I start dealing with glass. I mean, it's cool, but I'm like, I don't know if the real, if the value is really there. And I was like, one time I was like, oh, let's just do this. I haven't really done clear glass, though, because it's a giant pain in the ass. <laughs> so I just started doing clear glass for this current fort. I couldn't resist the temptation of doing it. And it actually, after having thought for years that it was just a nightmare, is actually pretty simple to, to automate. And these dudes are just cranking it out left and right. Hmm. So cool. I was blown away by how not complicated it was. So if you've got soap down then this would be very easy because it's very similar kind of series of dependencies that you have to get set up. And then and then look out, world, clear glass everywhere. Tony, are you tapped into magma or are you uh, running your uh, your smelters? No, no, I'm, I'm destroying forests. Uh, oh. But I've already got a pretty bad relationship with the elves at this point. So bring it, gang. <laughs> we'll bash you to death with our crossbows. So our subject today is new players coming into Dwarf Fortress, especially in a lot of the Steam release. And, you know, how, how new players might approach Dwarf Fortress now as opposed to the way that they would have had to have done it, you know, in years past. With things like the, the Lazy Noob Pack not being as necessary with, uh, with, with premium mode, it seems like it'll be a little bit easier. So let me ask you, how many of you guys started with Lazy Noob Pack? I didn't start with it. I was playing with it from the beginning up until the point where I switched to premium. You you did it all along. You yep. you started and then ended the ended the run with it. Yeah, I, I picked up the game a couple of times just just off the website and was trying to play an ASCII and you know, it wasn't my favorite experience and didn't really get into it. But yeah, once Lazy Noob once I realized how that worked, then that kind of made it more accessible. So I think it was a pretty likely conduit for a lot of people, I bet. Yeah, yeah I, I tried doing with ASCII, and it's just too much. Uh, so I ended up really learning the fort through Lazy New Pack, too. So. I think it's Paradexus Sarant. One of the people who's has a lot of hand in creating the, the Lazy New Packs don't like that name at all. They want them, they tried to kind of lobby for having it changed to just being called a Dwarf Fortress Starter Pack, which I think is a great idea because. You know, yeah. even whenever I didn't consider myself a noob, I liked that because it just made it easier to sub in, uh, you know, tile sets and all that stuff. So, hey, man, I'm not lazy. What's that? Well, I'm lazy. I said, hey, man, I'm not lazy. I am. But oh, I am. Yeah, I'm I'm too. Um, That's yeah, no, I, I can understand that. Uh, I'm definitely lazy, too. I only installed the lazy new pack and then I slowly took everything out, like all the um, the automated work systems and auto nest box and everything to the point where I only played lazy new pack to have the little browser where I can just 
put in like, oh, yeah, today I want to have 100 dwarfs or I want 60 dwarfs, which honestly is the only thing that I actually changed after a while. And everything else was basically the same game. I just didn't want to go into the raws and like edit it there. So, Nick, what is your origin story with Dwarf Four? So, I, I I play a lot of games. Hence your podcast, but yeah. Right, <laughs> right. And and Dwarf Fortress has always been my white whale of a game. Like, I first tried to get into it like 2008, 2009, like shortly after Boat Murdered incident mm-hmm. happened. And then it was just raw ASCII, and I was like, I'm not gonna, I don't have the time for this. And then was probably like 2014 2015 um some weird things happened at work and i was basically benched for like seven months with like no work while i tried to figure out what my entire department was doing and i was like well i'm never gonna have an opportunity like this ever again so what can i spend eight hours a day doing and the answer was figuring out how to play dwarf fortress and so that's the story of how i got paid to play dwarf fortress for like three months that's pretty awesome (laughs) it was but all things considered like this is my favorite game. This is the one I'm willing to put at the top of the entire stack of everything else. And it's really weird because like, I am really concerned or really interested in, in things like approachability, new player experience, uh, like meta things like, like how do we, how do we play games? Not just, you know, the game itself. And the fact that I would pick this one as my favorite seems weird, but you know, let's go back to the, that phrase you just said a moment ago. That sounded interesting. Um, how do we play games and not the game itself? Yeah, so it's like a, like a deeper philosophical bent on on the playing of games rather than just the mechanics. Is that what? Yeah, you mean? In, in a way, like like we're like. So I, I'm genuinely pretentious person, so I kind of have to just <laughs> lean into that. Well, you do play um, Fortress, so yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, it's all how you tell other people about it. That's the <laughs> you wouldn't understand, right? But there, there, there is a bit of a disconnect between like player experience in terms of how I feel about a game or how much I enjoy a game versus how good that game actually is. Because I love some absolutely terrible games. And I really hate some really genuinely good games. And so that disconnect to me is very interesting because it's hard to quantify. So that's the kind of thing that we try to talk about is like, okay, I'll give you a really good example for spoken. This is an absolute terrible game and I haven't actually done it on my podcast yet. So I'm about to rip this thing a new one, Um, (laughs) but I played the whole thing. Like start to, I actually, I actually completed it. Most games, I I only get about 80% of the way through. So I don't really spoil them when I do an episode on it. And then after I do the episode, I'll go back and finish it. If I, if I want to, I'm a big advocate of only playing games uh, until you're satisfied. Like I'm not a completionist. I don't think that if you start a game, you need to finish it. You should just follow the fun. Like it's literally a game. If it's not fun anymore, why do you keep playing? That one I did finish, but it's a it's a it's a bad game. So I have very mixed feelings about that. But the overall experience is apparently better than the game itself as a standalone like subject. Yeah. So a new user experience for that would be probably objectively better than a new user experience, perhaps for Dwarf Fortress, especially if. Dwarf Fortress you're playing and you realize three hours into it that you still don't know what you're doing and can't make anything happen. Uh, that's a, a great game with a poor uh, a poor user experience uh, at the beginning there. Well, it is. It's so much better than it used to be, though. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I w- I'm genuinely impressed at how well premium works. I really thought that we were just going to basically get like an official you know, lazy new pack bootstrap tile set application. I did not expect the depth of, of the, like there's still some work to be done. We all know that the menus are a little out of control, but overall I'm very impressed with how everything works. And in particular, I really like how they did like the dwarves, like all the different parts 
that go together that get stitched together to make your little dwarf look different because it's like yeah. all of the things they're wearing or carrying around are are literally displayed in the little spray and I'm like that's that's not a lot of real estate so that's pretty impressive that they were able to do that. I thought you were going to say the uh, the character sheet for uh, for the dwarves that, that oh, exists that, now. That's a huge improvement. Oh yes. my god, <laughs> uh, that's my favorite. My favorite single thing about the the premium version of Dwarf Fortress is that all of those things that you had to go digging for about your dwarf are now there on a tabbed interface that is just great. So there's something I want to I want to talk about. I want to talk about this podcast that I found. I bought a new phone, and as I was loading back up all my podcast subscriptions, I looked for – I was going to load up Dwarf Fortress Talk, so I searched for Dwarf Fortress, and I found a new Dwarf Fortress podcast out there called uh, A Strange Mood, the Couples Dwarf Fortress podcast. Um, I've listened to the first uh, two episodes, and I'm listening on the third one. And uh, I hope everyone goes and checks that out. It's by a, a, a couple, Kristen McFarlane and Drew Bushhorn. The The actual website is astrangemoodpodcast.com. So you can find it that way. I know that they're on a, a Apple Podcasts. But it's great. Um, they're both playing through fortresses. And as they come up across the term, and this will be a great podcast for someone who is new to Dwarf Fortress to listen to. Because as they're playing their fortresses, they will introduce a new term. And then once they introduce that term, they will go into a little bit of depth on what that term means. Uh, for example, I can't think of, the, but like uh, FPS, they would talk about say FPS and then they would give a, you know, a, a 30 second to a minute uh, explanation of what you mean by FPS in, as it relates to Dwarf Fortress. So again, a strange mood, the couple's Dwarf Fortress podcast I recommend that everyone who listens to this uh, podcast go check that out because I know that they'll love it. And I'll say uh, the production value on that one is actually pretty good, too. Um, yeah. I was pleasantly surprised. So so you've heard it, too. Cool. I have. Delightful. Attention members and guests, Roma Vermeulen, liaison to the Autumnal Guild of Farmers, requests that you stand by for the following important message. Hey, farmers. Do you ever feel like you're the only ones in the world who appreciate a good manure joke? Well, fear not. The Beach of Sun Guildhall is here to provide you with the camaraderie and laughs you've been missing. As a member of the Autumnal Guild, you'll have access to all kinds of quirky events and activities, from minecart races and tomato tosses, to alpaca milking competitions and millstone karaoke. And you'll be surrounded by a group of farmers who get your sense of humor, and share your love of all things agriculture. Join us today and let us prove to you that there's more to farming than just mushrooms and sweat. With the Beach of Sun, you'll have a community of hilarious, down-to-earth dwarves to laugh, learn, and grow with. So don't be a chicken, come on down to our coop. This message was paid for by the Autumnal Guild. Roma Vermeulen? Guild Liaison. Okay, so I want to take a minute to talk about the tutorial itself. I've not done it, Ooh, so yeah. Ooh, yeah. Who here has done it? Just yeah, Nick. Me. Negative. I think okay. I tried. I think I started, and I was like, uh, okay. No, I don't think so. Yeah. So I've run this tutorial like five times, and I've I've worked with a few other people that have that have been doing it, and it makes some specifically poor choices. The biggest one is the tutorial as it's walking you through things. It introduces the concept of stockpiles. The first big cardinal sin it has you do is it to make, to progress through the tutorial, you have to make a stockpile and you have to set it to accept all. Oh yeah. It's a bummer, <laughs> isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And I was like, why are you doing this? This is terrible advice to give to new people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It kind of makes you not want to use stockpiles ever. <laughs> right, it's kind of what I, yeah. Oh, yeah. But like unintended. One of the first real hurdles uh, of playing Dwarf Fortress is kind of realizing what kind of game it is, because like we we use genres to talk about games as a kind of shorthand, so that we can just you know kind of get a leg up on understanding how this particular game is supposed to work and how its systems do all that kind of stuff. And this this particular game does not fit into any one bucket well because it is the you know 20 year old fever dream of a 
of a brilliant mad genius uh, who's literally just typing this stuff out and his, you know, little hermitage and, and then going, I think I'm going to simulate everything. So it comes off weird. Uh, and that's why we love it. But like, it doesn't have a, a typical like colony sim part to it. I think it's, it's most advantageous to, to really first consider it to be like um, an emergent storytelling device and everything else is secondary. Yep. Yep. I would agree with that. I guess I would. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I think that's right. I think that there's, um, it's almost like the story's going to unfold and you, your job is to basically make sure that they all stay alive long enough to do that. Or right. you know, and like like, the longer you go, the more story unfolds. Right. And personally for me, the, 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 the coolest part about the game is, is finding the thread because it's not very apparent. Like it doesn't just go, here's the story as it's unfolding. Like all of the details and bits and pieces are there. You just have to go out and collect it. Like I was, um, I was engraving some tile floors just to make them look fancy. They weren't in any particular place. And they, they kept like engraving this particular like alligator and this human fighting and it was like 30 years before the fortress had 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 been had been settled and it was like it was like one out of 10 tiles in this particular entrance area and i was like apparently that particular human killing that particular croc or alligator was a traumatic event in this like society and and then i i I didn't actually go into legends mode because i I, my one complaint is i wish it was an easier way to do legends mode uh premium yeah Um, for sure not to go and find out more backstory about why that alligator was important or or what, but it's the little details like that that really make this game stand out. Like nobody's doing as much as this game is doing while it's doing it. Sometimes to its detriment. I really wish that someone could implement or that that Tarn or uh, would implement the style of interface that was with uh, Mef's libraries, where where it's not necessarily oh, easy yeah. to access, but but. But with Mef's libraries, you could get a glimpse into the uh, into the uh, into the legends mode by reading a book that was written and put in your library. It was really sweet. It was the bookkeeper cool. workshop, wasn't it? Was that I what it was? It was the bookkeeper workshop. Yeah, you, he he had modded in a, a a bookkeeper, like just a workshop, or like a librarian's workshop. And if you went, if you if you you know, there was an activity in that. It was like launch legends. But I think from what I understand is there was like a risk of corrupting everything because of how it all works. So, you know, every time you did it, it's like, okay, you might, you might. Well, if Putnam's working on the inside, then yeah, Putnam's working on the inside. Maybe it can be done without, uh, without the corruption issues. (laughs) It would be cool. And I, you know, I actually miss things like, um, legends viewer. Those were really good tools to have. I would love to see that get updated. And obviously I think, Someone's but, probably interested in working on it, but Nick, I have a counter to your uh, your emergence narrative idea, though. In that, it's been six years that I've been playing, and to me, it still is primarily a a builder. It's primarily construct, uh, you know, cool rooms and and cool things for your dwarves to do. I still, I don't know, I should, but I still don't pay that much attention to the emergent stories, which you know, it's fine. It's however you want I mean, to play it, but. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, and that 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 harkens back to how personal experience flavors uh, our our individual takeaways. So much of this game as a builder, it's pretty good actually. It's a little rough around the edges, but no one else has quite the amount of freedom or just sheer insanity allowed. And oh yeah, I know that I'm missing out by by not examining the uh, the 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 narrative on it, but I I get impatient. I just want to build more and pay more attention to that and and solve problems that come up because of the way I'm I'm developing my fortress and not paying as much attention to to the to the things that the dwarves are thinking about. I don't know. Yeah, I mean I think it for I would say for me it depends on what's going on. Like I had a fortress where somebody was coming in and they kept corrupting the dwarves in the fortress to try to get them to steal artifacts and it was really quite successful. And like everybody was involved and they were just putting leverage on everyone and they'd go and take something and meet out in the woods. And occasionally I could catch them and occasionally I couldn't. And yeah, I mean, that was kind of weird. It just felt a bit, a bit, you know, more scripted than I'd have thought, but I don't always have that happen. I don't go to the Krug smash levels of detail. 
Well, I mean, <laughs> well, I don't think anybody does. That's why he's. That's why he does what yeah, he does. That's why he's got it. That, <laughs> yes. that is true. That that's is why it's genius. I also like the narrative. So, um, and I feel the justice system is actually a very good way for people to get their nose poked into it by force because you you get something stolen and then you question like oh what happened and then you have to go into the justice system and actually interact with your dwarves and you find like stories emerging and and plots and whatever and actors and then the game actually shows you a weird list of people that might have been in that plot and the moment you look at that and you see like oh wait hang on i saw that name before oh that's my miller then the story just starts to sprout in your head and i really like doing that and i yeah okay i sometimes feel a little bit bad doing that on my streams that i do um because i feel that is that is fun but it's not the Krug smashy, I'm actually sitting here and like painting pictures for you kind of way. I It's more of a stringent, I'm trying to peel an onion with my fingernails and it takes me 40 minutes to coherently understand what is happening. And then I'm like, ah, you know. And so it might not be a good content for some other person to look at, to, to listen to, whatever. But I think it is so very interesting that it's it's a little bit like L.A. noir where you have to play detective and you have to puzzle some pieces and people together and why are you doing this? Where do you live? And back in the day, before the Steam thing, that went completely overboard because then I had like Legends Viewer open and a map and I started painting on on like paper with my actual hand in real life and I ugh that that went overboard. But yeah, it's very fun. I think though that this is something that is you as a veteran player coming into the Steam version or the premium version was able to to suss out quite easily. I'm not sure that someone who's brand new to the game though would be able to intuit how to enter the justice system and, and get it kicked off. Yeah. I haven't played the tutorial. Does it even mention the justice system in the tutorial? It does no. not. No, so. <laughs> but I don't I've even had, think it, it's doing stock, stock, stockpiles for everything. Yeah. <laughs> and then rotting your clothing. Uh, uh, I don't even think it introduces the military squad nope. menu, uh, nope. which is, mm, I don't think so. It, I mean, military is, we all know militaries need work, but for a new player. Okay. So like there's a, there's a series of, of like technologies that you need to master or, or like part of the, the difficulty with the game. It's not the, the game itself. It's learning how to think the dwarf fortress system or the dwarf fortress way to figure out how to interact with the game is largely the biggest challenge. I would say that military is actually like a mid level problem that you can put off for your a, for mm-hmm. a couple of fortresses to deal with later unless um, you're really unlucky and which right case. well and then that's a learning opportunity and that's fun <laughs> capital f-u-n uh my first real fortress that i let go for a while was just some like dwarf hippie commune where they would just sit around and dance and drink beer all the time and like i didn't even have any kind of military whatsoever and then a were lizard shows up in the middle of my tavern and just totally wrecks it and then everyone turns into were lizards and i was like well now it's apparently time to learn how to do military stuff and i think that's the best way to actually approach the game is get used to the idea of running lots of fortresses like and don't get too bummed out if you have to start over like literally learning how the game works through failure is genuinely part of the appeal and the fun Especially at the beginning. I completely agree. I completely yeah. agree. My mm-hmm. first, I, I decided that I needed to worry about fortress security uh, whenever I had a wear something. I think it was a wear llama come in and, you know, basically destroy the fort that I made. So it wasn't very old. That was my first introduction to the military was because I decided that I probably needed it. Yeah. And fortress security itself is a pretty big deal. Like most of like I hang out or have been hanging out since premium came out and the, um, the kit Fox 
uh, Discord, specifically mm-hmm. in the the Dwarf Fortress questions channel, because I realized there's like I don't know half a million people that have absolutely no idea what they're doing that are that are going to be like coming in here. So let's you know I, I I camped out there to answer some questions and 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 Fortress Security is pretty big deal, and unfortunately there was a bug. I don't know if it's fixed yet or not. But building destroyers were being stopped by forbidden doors. So I've seen a lot of bad habits that have come up around that, where a lot of new players were using forbidden doors as a security device. And you need to for not the polite do that. monsters. Yeah, for the very, very <laughs> polite monsters. Oh, I'm sorry. Right. You're locked. I'll respect that. I totally, my bad. Jeez. Yeah. And as a veteran, like I didn't, I wouldn't even have thought to do that because I learned, I don't know, in my second fortress that like doors are suggestions, especially like setting forbidden, like the only thing a forbidden door will work on are your own dwarves. Everyone else is just like, okay, I'll just open that door. So like, I think it's really important for new players to understand that you really need to control the, like the ingresses to your fortresses, both from the surface and from the cavern. So as soon as you pop that cavern, you need to like wall it off. And then you need to like strategically build an entrance into that cavern so that you can control it. And the only thing that's really going to be a real effective like security device is a drawbridge. So put a drawbridge in the way, put a lever, connect the lever. Those are two things, not super easy, but you can figure it out. It's fine. I like to put my levers in places where there are a lot of people like to hang out, uh, but not like in the middle of the dance floor uh, because, you know, Doors will get drunk and knock them over and break them. And so you can like make sure that there's someone near the lever to turn it on or off whenever you need to. And then that way you can control what can come in. So if a forgotten beast shows up in your second or third year and you're not equipped to handle it because you just took my advice about not having a military and you're like, cool, (laughs) what am I supposed to do about that? Well, you close the door and wait for him to go away. Dev invites you to the Turquoise Dinner's Dining Hall and Tavern to enjoy the written work, Life with the Tree, for a limited time only. This is a cinnamon grossular bound codex. The written portion consists of a 92-page guide entitled Life with the Tree, authored by Dev. It concerns the forest retreat, Muted Blazes. The writing could only have been produced by a merciful spirit. Overall, the prose is not awful, but not very good either. Life with the Tree With Klinodev, Dancer Available for a limited time at the Turquoise Dinners, on the 12th level of the Town of Control Relics. I wanted to circle back to the part where you said Wall of the Caverns, because I, at some point, it clicked in my brain. Like, oh, yeah, things spawn at the map edge. I can't build at the map edge. I can just build over the map edge so nothing can spawn. And I was like, wait, what? Uh, so I did that, and it worked. Before the Steam version, by the way. Um, I, I have only done it now. What do you mean by, what are you saying? You wall off your caverns where the caverns meet the map edge? Yep. You huh. make sure that the caverns become basically a large room. There is no more connection to the outside. And because I was like, maybe I can control where things spawn. And yes, you absolutely can control hmm. where things spawn. And then you put like drawbridges and cage traps, and then it's all fine and dandy. And suddenly the caverns look a lot less scary. And if you get every single tile, and nothing spawns in water or whatever, because let's be honest, nothing really did use to spawn in water, then easy breezy. You have a completely pacified cavern, and you can just open it up to your children, and they can play in it. But now the the whole situation with the cavern dwellers came in, and now I'm a little bit scared of caverns. (laughs) And, um, yeah, or the stuff that lives there already. You mean like the yeah, giant yeah, the and they just yeah the... in. So my current try, I sadly have no real answer right now. But I did wall of most of my cavern already, and now I just put my um, enemies to on again, 
And now I'm letting people run through in the hopes that at some point I will figure out whether or not cavern dwellers will spawn if I shut off the whole place or not. But, um, yeah, because cavern dwellers killed half my fortress and I was like, yeah, not fun. So Is it the troglodytes <laughs> that did the killing or was it the uh, just the Ant people Man. that freaked out and then go nuts? Oh, it, it, Ant Antman, yeah. Uh, you get the wasps in there too. It's bad. So I think initially you need to, to wall off the cavern from like the perspective of, of where your fortress goes into the cavern. Like that's the, mm -hmm. that's the first yeah, thing you need yeah. to wall off so that you can at least just seal up your fortress and, and, and write that cavern off if you need to for a while. Uh, I have done a couple of trials and in, in premium of trying to uh, basically like domesticate the entire cavern floor. And as you pointed out with cavern dwellers, it is a giant pain now, but I've had limited success, like actually just doing giant massive building projects to just like be like, all right, we're just going to build a four story wall right here with a big drawbridge to get in and out. And so like, I, I built myself a giant like zone inside, just outside my, my, the entrance to my fortress for like farming and stuff. And I even went out and built like a, 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 a roof for it. If I couldn't connect it to the top of the cavern layer, that worked fairly well. I turned I turned cavern invaders off for a bit uh, because they were really buggy and the game got in a nasty habit of trying to spawn like 200 of them, but off the map. Yeah. And then the FPS would just absolutely tank. So FPS is going to be the thing that's going to kill most of your fortresses. You need to be aware of that now. The game will just keep simulating stuff as it goes. And the more complex things are, the, the more your frame rate's going to drop until it becomes basically insufferable to play uh, that particular fortress. People like Sethatos, who's been on the, on the podcast a couple of times on my podcast, did Arc Crystal with like 250, 500 years of history, oh, I don't remember, yeah. or something ridiculous, by just like dealing with it, just like accepting that four frames per second was how he was going to play the game. Sounds like a really patient fellow. He is. He's a great, he's a great guest too. Uh, if you haven't seen the Art Crystal Fortress, I can't recommend it enough. Like everything's made of clear glass. Oh my There's God. like 3,000 uh. statues in the damn place. It's crazy. Like he, he, he literally colonized hell and he keeps, he kept bees down there because <laughs> one of the weird quirks about the game is once a, once a tile is exposed to the sky, it always counts as being outside or on the surface, even if it's no longer on the surface. So you can like, I haven't actually done this, but I'm like 95% sure you can, you can just channel up a bunch of dirt and then build tile like tile floors on top of it and then just build surface and then just farm surface crops there. So you have a nice little controllable pocket that you can access through your thing. But he managed to, to, to get a hole all the way down to the surface of hell so that he could keep bees down there because uh, <laughs> it counted as being on the surface and wow. it was ridiculous. And he had like artifact bone cages that he, he managed to put bloodmen in. And then he had a mistake with like magma. So they caught on fire, but because they're artifacts, they'll never go out. So he's just got a couple of, you know, bone cages with bloodmen in them that are on fire and in the middle of his <laughs> throne room. It's pretty metal. Hilarious. Have you ever seen the the quick start guide on um, on the Dwarf Fortress wiki? There's a it, that's the tutorial that I that I started off with, and it's the one that I have always uh, guided people to for learning how to play Dwarf Fortress. You know, I don't think I've seen it recently. Yeah, and it has not been updated completely for uh for premium but that is an excellent excellent tutorial and i think the dual fortress lends itself much better to tutorials that are kind of in print than it does to uh to tutorials that are walkthroughs for uh for uh you know like a, a guide guided tour in a game so i don't know it just seems like that's the, the best way for me to learn yeah things. I, I mean, I think one of the, the strongest components of the game is literally the community. I mean, it's it's literally why all of us are here right now talking about it. Yeah. And so, like, I, I get into a lot of, of game communities for what I do on my podcast. That's that's kind of how I, I work. Once I, 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 I work on a title, I go out and I find the people that are really into that particular game. And I talk to them about why they like it and stuff like that. This is, I can genuinely say, one of the best gaming communities out of all of the ones that I've seen, and it's 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 weird. It's almost like we're all a bunch of harrowed, like 
you know, vets with PTSD that are just sitting around sharing <laughs> stories about all the terrible things that we've seen. And we love it when new people come in and we're super supportive because we're like, buckle up, buddy. You have no idea. One of my favorite parts of this is uh, I was doing all this work with the tutorials and going through it a few times. I managed to figure out kind of after the fact, the logic that the game is picking, because it'll pick an embark location for you. And the things that it, that it looks for is it looks for like trees I believe it looks for a source of water and oh, metal. It looks for a good spread of metals. One of the things that the game does not specifically look for, though, in picking a tutorial and bark location is evil. And I was like, you know what? That's the most Dwarf Fortress tutorial thing I can think of. Because I had a couple of people that were like... That's really funny. Hey, is it supposed to rain elven blood? And are my... Is everything I butcher supposed to come back to life? And I'm like, supposed to? No, but I'm not surprised. So that's fun. Uh, I don't know if it checks for Untamed Wilds or not, though. That's new. Uh, and if you're a new player, I specifically advise you against play. Oh, it checks for an aquifer. It puts you in a spot with no aquifer. That was the other big thing. That's kind, um, at least. It hey. is. It is super kind. Hey, I'd like to circle back to, we were talking about the community. Uh, you are talking about the community a few moments ago. And as a, as someone who has a podcast that is not uh, specifically Dwarf Fortress related, you probably get a wider view of other communities, like I said, than, than we do. Us Dual Fortress Roundtable is the only podcast that any of us have ever been involved in. And so our interaction with the Dual Fortress folks are the only real, at least, at least for me, the only interaction that I've had with, with communities like that. But we were kind of prepared to get barbs and, and, you know, the occasional nasty message from, from listeners who disagreed with us on something. And it is surprising. We've been, we're in our fifth year now of this podcast and we have never had a actual malicious comment or email from anybody. And we've got a decent sized listener base, but it was, it's just that speaks so highly of this community and how, how friendly they are. So yeah, I just wanted to throw that in. It's nuts. Like this is one of the, the, basically the only gaming community I can think of where like Cunningham's law still works here. Uh, in the sense that, like the, the the fastest way to 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 get an answer is to give an incorrect response, right. and then somebody's going to come in and that correct works. you. But when they do it in Dwarf Fortress, it's typically like ninety percent of the time it's not malicious. It's like, hey, there might be a better way to do this. This is how I've done it in the past. Now I have come, like I was helping somebody try to solve some kind of uh, problem about something. I, I might have been about fishing in caverns or something. Or it was about stair placement. People get weird about stairs in Dwarf Fortress. (laughs) It's a thing. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You could do a whole episode on how to do staircases, especially now that the premium changes have hit. Uh, And some dude was just like commenting on my staircase. Oh, no, it was my entrance. He was like, your entrance is not not optimal. I was like, cool. Not an optimal player, dude. Don't care. I was trying to help somebody else solve a problem. Uh, that's the only time I've ever run into anything like that, even remotely close. We had Blind and, uh, and, and Tekkit on, I think it was in our last <laughs> episode. And and yeah, both of them hate, uh, they seem to hate yeah, the, uh, the new stairway thing. And where I, I'm not sure what your feelings are, Roland, because I don't think you, you weighed in on that. But I know that me and Tony were like, yeah, the new stairways are great. Yeah, I think it's cool. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm pro stairway change, by the way. Um, yeah. I, like, I get why, why I... This is going to sound derogatory, but I mean it in the, in the best way. I get why the crusty old uh, Dwarf Fortress vets don't like them because there's certain like there's a certain uh, style and approach to like building that the old staircase is kind of allowed for. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, that the new staircases aren't really doing the same way, and it looks a little weird. But from like a new player experience perspective, it's way better. It's so much better. Like figuring out how to dig a workable staircase was was historically one of the big big first challenges that you had to do uh but now that problem has mostly gone away so yeah i think it was last season early last season of this podcast where i finally figured out how to build one wall on top of another because because of staircases that was the whole hang up i wasn't doing my staircases right it just didn't make sense to me but but now it does I still 
I'm having trouble getting my dwarves to build stacked walls, but that's a management question. It's not got anything to do with uh, the mechanics of the game so much. You have more of those funny chatbot questions. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, I mean, uh, so we well, can, let me let me go can... ahead and let me go ahead and, and tell the tell the listeners what we're talking about here because that's mostly in our introduction. But before we were actually recording, we were talking about this. A question that I fed to ChatGPT, and and mine was just, you know, I was just looking for some ideas to, for for nice interview questions that I might not have thought of that we could ask Nick and and other prospective uh, guests in the future. So I say, give me ten interview questions regarding Dwarf Fortress, and so <laughs> the questions that it gave me turned out were job interview questions for someone who is applying for a position to run Dwarf Fortress as their as their uh work and these questions are, are from the point of view of a manager asking a job maybe we get this but, to tarn for uh for any team building he wants to be doing <laughs> well, the thing is while we're sitting here talking i'm realizing that some of these questions are quite pertinent like um one of them is how can can you walk me through how you would approach building a, su- a successful fortress into a fortress and what that's kind of what we were just talking about. What are some of the first things that you need to do as a new player to 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 have a successful fortress? What kind of foundation do you need? And here's a, another one is um how do you balance the need for security and defense with the need for resource production and expansion into a fortress? Question number 8, also quite pertinent. Um so yeah, we, we were just talking about that, uh, security versus versus uh, uh you know, resource uh resource Sounds production. Sounds like a question so. from the economist. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, ahead, Nick. No, I was going to turn the table around a little bit, and I was going to ask you guys: What do you think are the things that that a new player should should learn out of the gate, the the jump, to be as successful as they can? Like, what are what are your first steps? I'm still changing because what was my first steps, I think, are not maybe as as important anymore. But in general, I build a stockpile early on to get all my stuff out of the outside get it underground but i don't include everything in it i don't include rocks i don't include wood certainly don't include refuse or, or corpses in my general purpose i also for stockpile yeah <laughs> quick side note i realized we mentioned that you don't want to set all stockpiles we didn't explain to anyone that doesn't already know why you don't want to do that uh it, for one it's a logistics nightmare because getting moving things from stockpile to stockpile can be irritating if you don't know how to do it right but the most important one is if you add refuse to a stockpile everything in that stockpile will start to degrade so you will ruin all of the stuff that you put in that stockpile go ahead yeah well it, that and, and you'll just have miasma just right constantly on top of your stockpile which is which is horrible horrible and i don't know if they cover that in the tutorial but uh Keeping miasma out of your fortress is even more important now than it was in in pre premium dwarf fortress because they seem to be more reluctant to take the crap out of the out of the fortress that causes the miasma. Miasma, miasma. How, how do you pronounce it? Let's go with uh, let's go with miasma. Miasma. Yeah, I think miasma okay. is the. I think they're both actually technically correct though. So well, the position we're taking on this is it's a long eye. But in any case, did they talk about miasma or, or <laughs> we're flexible? Your fortress clean? <laughs> they don't. Uh, not really. No. Uh, and yeah. there's a whole component about like uh, hauling refuse outside of the, the fortress that has to be enabled in the labors menu to even get them to do that. Because all of the new la- all of the, the labors menu stuff is new. So like dealing with that is, is a, is an ordeal even for veteran players. And yeah. Yeah. I've, I've this morning, I was actually spent quite a while trying to figure out how to mark goblinite as pick it up. Uh, unforbid, unforbidding goblinite. I was like, well, how do I do that now? Because if you try to do it the old way, you end up having six mouse clicks to, I think to just unforbid one item. I didn't realize that there is now a thing that you can unforbid everything at once in a particular pile. But, yeah, uh, and you can you can click and drag and make a like a big area of just unforbidding too with the yeah. nipple. Yeah. Yep. I didn't realize that and I ended up figuring it out. That was gonna be one of the questions I asked today on the podcast. Like, <laughs> <laughs> this is annoying. Yeah, awesome. But you know, uh, someone who's coming into the to the system for the first time, they're not going to have those habits that some of us are having to unlearn. So, in a lot of ways, maybe people who come to the to Dwarf Fortress for the first time are going to have it easier than us people who are trying to make changes to uh to the way we do things. 
Um, and Nick, I heard on your podcast the other day that, that you mentioned people discussing, uh, veterans discussing having to overcome their muscle memory. And, uh, mm-hmm. and that is definitely something that we've gone over several yep. times on this podcast because all of yeah. us are, are in that, well, in that camp. You guys are, are crazy. <laughs> Didn't all of you remap your, your Z up and down to the old? Yep. No. I'm I'm remap free. I I just decided to learn the new way of doing it. Not that's why I'm doing it now. Too. Not I did stuck in tradition and old ways. The new way is so much better though because it's it's on the left yeah. hand and it makes sense because it's up and down EC. It's that's the first change. I was like, oh, thank God they changed that. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. I hated 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 having to hit shift. Yes. And then, oh, is it question mark? Crap. Oh, and then the help menu now. Dang it. Well, okay, hang on. And then see. Yeah, I, but yeah, I'm with but you, man. I, I was able. I got to where I was doing that without even thinking. I didn't think I needed to hit shift less than shift greater than. It's just that's what my hand did whenever I needed to traverse a Z level. I just it just happened. It, it wasn't a matter of thinking anymore. Which is you know what we were talking about the muscle memory, and that was the way it was for all of the keyboard hot the, the hotkeys. But, you know, I'm learning how to change them. I still don't like ENC because I think it's cl- too close to WASD, but, you know. Uh, okay, Here, That's here's why my I like opinion. It. I have two things. First of all, having that changed was like getting my eyes ripped out. I actually <laughs> had trouble visualizing in which layer I was. And I accidentally, in my very first stream that I did... On the Steam version, I put layers in the wrong layer. I was like, "Oopsie!" Now I'm where? Where am I? And I had to change it. And now I can see again, and I can <laughs> visualize it better again because I'm so used to it. Also, I don't have the problem of like, "Oh, it's just one hand," because I have a German keyboard layout. So the two fingers that I use to go through my layers are just my left hand little finger and ring finger it's the two buttons are right next to each other so it never was a question of how many hands do i need because the buttons are directly next to each other hmm. so how many hands do you normally need to operate a german keyboard and this is an example of the curmudgeons talking about what's that tony it said how many hands does one normally need to operate a german keyboard uh, five four <laughs> Many oh, hands. Okay. These big words. The opinions uh, split here. Yeah, but we are the curmudgeons that I think that Nick was talking about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So here we are again. We're going yeah, off on a rant about the hotkey changes, and <laughs> yeah, I, I I tell you what, I I to, having to hit shift and then another button to to do anything is like the opposite of good user experience. Well, but it's so, like putting in a it's like putting in a clutch and shifting your your car. It's it's not two operations. It's it's one atomic operation that after you've done it for a while it oh, never mind. I got to stop this. Ah! <laughs> Back to a beginner friendly podcast. Um <laughs> This segment of Dwarf Fortress Roundtable is brought to you by Mr. Gutsy, creator of Overdeduck Bismar Avog, Low Manners, the Pulley of Dredging. This is an apricot wood cup. All crafts warship is of the highest quality. It is encircled with bands of apricot wood and oval limestone cabochons. This object menaces with spikes of pear wood, naked moldog leather, and siltstone. On the item is an image of Lore Walwad's The Dwarf in Hematite. Overdeduck Bismar Avog, Low Manners, The Pulley of Dredging by Mr. Gutsy. Another top quality artifact from the town of Control Relics. Um, I, I have one question, and this is, I found out, is a question that you can judge the character of a person by. So the question oh, is... great. I don't want to answer this. <laughs> oh, no. What is the first thing bad. that you do for your dwarves? Is it make a tavern, make a temple, or make a general meeting hall? Mm. We'll let Nick go first here. So historically, uh, I've made a tavern first, but now that... Putnam has been digging into uh, FPS issues. 
one of the largest contributors, according to the the understanding now, is uh, dwarf scanning dancing dwarves for attractiveness or relations. Because apparently there's logic to check to see if I'm related to these people that are dancing. And that's a big contributor to the FBS thing. I'm actually changing my meta now to, to try and avoid taverns if I can or big dance floors to try and like tamp down on the, the FPS overhead because I'm primarily playing on a laptop when I'm playing Dwarf Fortress. So I don't have as much like, you know, general CPU I can just throw at this game. So I have to be very careful with with the choices I make. Historically, it's always been a tavern first. Yeah. Tony, what about you? It's it's still pretty... What's the first thing I do? Um, yeah. Well, but, well, no, no. Among those three different kinds of locations, yeah. tavern, temple, or meeting area. You know, generic uh, meeting area. I d- it dip- well, I used to do a dining hall, but then that turns out to not be as effective. So I will probably do a tavern, but I put the table and the food in it and I make it just for that fort. So I don't start getting in a bunch of Yoho elf dancers or whatever. <laughs> well, I, I would do a generic meeting area without a location, a name uh, of any sort, just to get my dwarves out of the outside and into, into shelter. Yeah. And and I, I still will do that. I'll still just put up a little four by four meeting area that's in the first room that I dug out just to get them to where they're not hanging out outside. Um, uh, for new players, this is important because uh, the wagon is actually considered a meeting area for the dwarves until another one is designated. So they're kind of dumb. So if you don't actually give them somewhere else to go hang out, they'll just go hang out at the wagon for a while while yeah, you're doing other that. stuff. The animals do. Annoying, yep. isn't it? Yeah, and yep, then yep. they get rained on or attacked, and that well, just they don't like that. They don't like to get rained on. So you, Roland, what's the first one you do? I also used to do taverns first, like straight up taverns, and basically do nothing else and try to get chairs and tables in. But I had a test run, and I made a temple instead, and I found just a general temple, just no deity, no specific deity. You've been reading Klinodev's comments, haven't you? Uh, yeah, I've, I've been reading a few things. And I, I noted that while the mood boost that I would get from a tavern and they get drinks and I lay out the whole tavern and make a bard and drinks in the corner, whatever, is far larger the temple, the, the early temple seems to alleviate some of the problems where you make a late temple and then you have people that hog the temple for like months on end doing nothing else but praying. And in that particular one, I dug out a lot. So I don't have a temple at the very start of my fortress because it felt weird, but I slammed a temple in and it worked surprisingly good. And then I just later on made a tavern and that worked that worked good but i can't really say that i noted any fps differences i think that my well, cpu just might be too beefy to actually make that difference but humble brag just a little yeah just you know <laughs> flexing. Um, well i got a new I, machine I buy coming based on yeah yeah I, I i buy based on um single thread performance <laughs> i did I did actually do that. <laughs> That's what I've done my last two. Well, Roland, single thread I, on this baby. I don't know if it was in uh in in the Discord or if it was on uh, on on the subreddit, but Cleanor Dev had talked about it, what he does is builds a general mm-hmm. purpose temple first of all as the very first meeting area because that will tend to increase the dwarves' happiness the most uh, whenever you have a brand new fortress. So Yeah, yeah. And I wanted to try that out. So that's what I might start trying to do. Yeah, I, I wanted to try that out. It, it worked very good. I can, I'm not going to support his claim that that's the biggest mood booster because a good tavern with like gob, goblets made of metal, that is the biggest mood booster in my opinion. But it worked very well. And yeah, but it's a quick win. Goblet, goblets made of metal, you say? Oh. Yeah, goblets made of metal. Yeah, it gets people okay, in, and that's all that. that you need. And yeah. then you get uh, the whole like praying to Isha's or whatever off your uh, bookmark list, and only the few people that actually need a specific temple. Then you okay, yeah, sure. Like it's year seven. Let's make a temple for you and your like family. Okay. 
I, I learned something that I'm going to explore uh, in the next couple of days today, this morning from dealing with new players that I never would have considered. Uh, there's this one particular guy that I've been, uh, is like my, one of my Dwarf Fortress acolytes. There's a few people I've been messaging like on Dwarf <laughs> or, on Discord with trying to help their forts. And he's a streamer. So, you know, if you want to check out, I'm pulling up, it's uh, M12G on, on Twitch. He's been doing some good stuff. He's learning the game pretty well. But today he told me that uh, his first guild hall was Doctors. And I was like, what? How the hell did you get a guild of Doctors first? That so, is bizarre. Wow. Okay, so here's how he did it. One of his first starting dwarves, he gave them, a, you know, doctor skill, and then he set up a hospital almost immediately. And he said once he set up the hospital, like, he started getting, like, four or five doctor skill migrants coming into his, his fortress after that. So, like, I think you can kind of juice the the kinds of skills that people are bringing into your fortress by establishing zones uh, early on. And I really want to play with this and see if I can replicate it myself to get, I want to see if I can, if I can bum rush a doctor guild. Um, because if I can, <laughs> I'm I, I like, I've, I've hit like 70 or 80 dwarves before, before I got a, a doctor. And that's, that's not good. Like you need a hospital ideally around 30 dudes. So that's, that's kind of interesting. And I thought I would bring that up. Hmm. That's really fascinating. Yeah. That- yeah, I never would have thought that you could you could get a doctor guild first. How have um how have FPS been for you guys in in this latest release? Like, what's your what are you finding? I've had no troubles with it. And None still at all workable as of yet. And no. that could be because I'm managing my my production a lot better than I, than I was before premium. Because I no longer now have you know just unlimited piles of crap that's laying around my, my fortress because I'm using work orders. So I don't know if it's because of premium or because I'm just better at managing my forts than I was. I've, uh, I've been pretty stable in the two hundreds. Like I've got, I've got FPS of like 200 plus with more than 200 dwarves. So that's pretty big thing. I mean, there's a lot of fluctuation, like it'll go to 65 for a while and then it'll Go back over 200. But yeah, 200 dwarfs doesn't seem to be a huge problem anymore. Which well, here we're doing it again. We're doing amazing. it again. For anyone new, <laughs> FPS means frames per second. And if you have too much stuff going on in your fortress, a lot of times that will uh, will slow your game down and you'll have a lower frames per second, right? At wit, you know, it can get bad enough to where you just have to retire or abandon your fortress because it's unplayable. So just yeah, everything and starts going so slow, you can't do anything. And there's two numbers listed for the FPS. The first number listed is the simulation FPS, and the second one is the display FPS. So simulation mm-hmm. will always be higher than display. Um, <laughs> Not always, but whenever you're really crushing it, uh, they're the right. same. <laughs> and the <laughs> update in particular uh, that should help with this is the game is now auto-pruning dead things from the list because before it was keeping track of every random thing that ever died in your fortress uh, Did they implement that, was, that? I heard that they were going to. I believe that yeah, was the last so. patch, like three days ago. I think you? that was in 07, right? Yeah, it was. It, okay, cool, cool. Because because uh, I think it was either Tekken or Blind were talking about that it was going to be coming up, and I wasn't. I didn't know that it had actually been implemented. Cool. Yeah, so that should fix a lot so. of issues uh, yeah. because you could get you could get like basically no more migrants because the table was too big and things yeah. like that. It also contributes to FPS because the game is just tracking all of that stuff. I like I like uh, the animal husbandry aspects of Dwarf Fortress for whatever reason. So I like to like I I'll, you know I, one fortress I, I decided I wanted to domesticate Capybara, and so I those things breed <laughs> like crazy. Yeah. And so I turned around and I was like, oh my god, I've got like two hundred Capybara. <laughs> Same, actually. Um, back in the day, I just had to press Z, and then it, I would instantly see the number of animals that I had in my fortress. And I didn't really look for any animal number in this uh, Steam update. So I just slammed some, I think I used alpacas, and I put them in a ca- in, in an area, and I was like, yeah, okay, go nuts. And 
after a while, I, I looked on my animal list and I had to like scroll down because I had so many alpacas and I was like, wait, 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 wait. Um, <laughs> I easily had also like 200, 250 alpacas. And then I just had to go through and like kill, 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 kill. I feel bad, but, and um, yeah. It's a lot of wool. <laughs> yeah. That, I mean, yeah. alpacas are great. Because they provide both milk and thread. Correct. And meat and leather eventually as they go through the, the industry process. So that's a, that's a real strong uh, choice for, for, for bringing in animals. I do want to caution new players against uh, trying, even though it's really cool, uh, trying to raise alligators or crocodiles because uh, they lay like on average 26 to 29 eggs per clutch. So... I think the cat explosion should be renamed the alligator plosion because it's crazy intense. I've got hippos. I'm trying to do something with hippos. Probably going to regret that, huh? Have you guys played with hippos? Have you played with? I've hippos? played with rhinos. Oh, I haven't oh, done hippos. You know how it goes with the hippos. I have a, a little clear glass enclosure in my um, Aww. in my tavern. So yeah, so everyone can look at hippos. It's great. <laughs> That's what, that's what you need. Okay. So Nick, thanks for joining us. I th- hope that we stayed somewhat on the topic of new player stuff. I know we got off, but we always do, <laughs> you know, got off topic. <laughs> so thanks for joining us. Um, If people want to hear you, want to meet you online or all that kind of junk, uh, how do they contact you? What's your, uh, what's your uh, uh, links and websites and stuff? Well, uh, so I'm the host of the Literate Gamer podcast, but I basically live on Reddit. Um, I'm not giving that handle out though here. Right. Um, <laughs> I mean, uh, I'm all over. I, I use the the Twitter account for Literate Gamer uh, as the primary point of contact. Uh, I don't know why I'm still on Twitter uh, as I watch it slowly collapse. Uh, but you know, I, I haven't found a good replacement yet. I, I thought about trying to Mastodon, but uh, just shouting at yeah. people off your front porch that's the best equivalent i think yeah. i've just been leaning more into into discord now that i've been yeah. um so i mean you can find me in the kit fox uh discord server uh sinister octopus is my handle there i usually hang out in the uh the df questions channel for the most part i don't even know that i've ever been in the others um but yeah i mean i'm always willing to talk about Dwarf Fortress. So, but I recommend that our listeners here, go here. Out and check out the uh, the Literate Gamer podcast and download that. Uh, subscribe, you know, listen to the huge freaking backlog. There's like two hundred something episodes. You yeah, we've been doing we that for a while. A while. Yeah, <laughs> are they weekly uh, or? Well, they it, used to be it, weekly, ostensibly weekly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they used to be weekly. We're we're we just came off of. Um, basically a sabbatical while I'm, I'm working on the podcast. Uh, it's been not great. Like COVID hit us pretty hard. We were both working in healthcare at the time. Not ideal. Uh, yeah. and then our listenership just fell off a cliff and we were weekly for a while. And then I couldn't keep up that cadence. So he started doing like short, like shorts episodes to keep up the, the, the regular weekly thing. And I don't think that the shorts have gotten progressively worse as time went on. So, um, I don't know where I'm, I'm currently working on my own podcast and I have like five years of backlog that I need to figure out what I'm going to do about it. I've even considered Is there something like, you want to plug, uh, no, plug no. away. <laughs> Is it, it's serial. It's the serial podcast, right? So. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just working on uh, that on my side. Sorry. I've thought about doing a history <laughs> podcast, but I, I, I haven't taken the time to do that yet so uh i've even thought about getting into streaming i don't know if that's for me though so we'll see well thanks so much for coming on and we'll have you back and we'll chat some more because uh you know any any anybody on here who can talk with us about because they don't always uh do things the way we do right like it's like like with the doctor guild thing it's literally been an eye-opening experience and like if you're a new player getting into door fortress like we've talked about a couple of times how much the community is is a vital part of that but like get into the 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 kit fox discord and ask questions like there's literally like an entire bench of grizzled vets that are 
that are willing to help you troubleshoot things. Like it's almost like, you know, an IT question kind of approach. Oh, the Reddit, the subreddit is very active and very nice once you learn the rules. So use that yeah. as a resource. So Yeah, the subreddit is is super friendly as well. Yeah. It is. You don't it's, lose it's, the questions and answers on the subreddit too, so you can historically search for things, which is pretty neat and something wow. that is gone yeah. with Discord. Yeah. You're given the uh, you're given the search algorithm on Reddit a lot of credit here, but anyway. Uh, <laughs> well, you got to use Google more, more or less. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I don't mean search on Reddit. I mean, you know, yeah. search Reddit yeah. via Google. Yeah. All right. Well, everyone, I hope everyone has a wonderful time playing Dwarf Fortress. If you're a new user, I uh, hope you uh, stick with it because it is a very rewarding game once you put just a little bit of time into it. They they say that uh, that there's a learning curve to it, but once that curve starts flattening out, you just get riches of enjoyment, and it's a very fulfilling game. Or yeah, yeah, right. whatever the heck you call it. It's genuinely one of the games with the longest learning curve. Like I didn't feel like I understood how to play this game until I was like 20 hours into it. That's insane. Yeah. Yeah. I will say this though. I think people who've played it a long time, talk it up and make it sound harder and more Kafka esque than it really is. And it's not. And when you figure out how to, it just, it's, it just kind of builds and radiates outwards. So it's like, you learn this and then it makes sense and you learn this and you make it make sense. So it's, it's not as, I would just say, don't be discouraged if you're, if you're picking it up and it feels overwhelming, it's not that bad. Yeah, I think the, the runway has gotten a lot shorter with premium. I think that 20 hours is now down mm-hmm. to like four. Yeah. So come back next time and you'll hear more Dwarf Fortress, uh, Dwarf Fortress discussion. I almost said Dwarf Fortress talk, but that's not our podcast. That's. I wish they would do another. Sued, man. <laughs> I wish they would start Bonked. doing more episodes of Dwarf Fortress talk again because we need to hear more of the. Uh, they might. They might. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, he has been talking about it. Awesome. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to reach out to Tarn after GDC. I'm going to see if I can get both uh, Tarn and Tanya on separate episodes to talk about both sides of the uh, Dwarf Fortress domestication process. So, cool. <laughs> Looking forward to that. Looking forward to that. Yeah, beautiful. Mm-hmm. Okay, so everyone, happy Fortressing, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks again, Nick. Thanks. Thanks. Terrific. This has been the Dwarf Fortress Roundtable Podcast. You can find all our past episodes at dfroundtable.com. Stop by and leave a message or suggestion in the comments section for this episode. While you're there, you can subscribe to Dwarf Fortress Roundtable or find us in the podcast service of your choice. You can find video content on our YouTube channel, and you can send us an email at urist at dfroundtable.com. That's U-R-I-S-T at dfroundtable.com. Please consider donating to the creators of Dwarf Fortress at bay12games.com. If you'd like to help support this podcast, you can find us at patreon.com slash dfroundtable. This is a conversational podcast. All craft storeship is of the highest quality.